Good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, my name is Doug Baker. I am one of the pastors here at Community, and we get to spend some time together in God's Word here on week number three of our Organic Disciples series, uh, processing together um, what it means to be disciples of Jesus in real life, normal ways, ways that are accessible, ways that fit into every single day so that all of us, all of us, no matter whether you know who Jesus is or you've been a follower for a long time, all of us, every single one, gets one step closer to Jesus. That's discipleship. And we can do that in every single day ways. Last week, we talked about the first of the seven markers. The first marker is Scripture, God's Word. Um, we were challenged to not only know it, but to live it out, to obey it. Um, in the uh, uh, email that came out, that's coming out every week, to kind of go along with this series, uh, there was a memory verse. How many of you saw that? All right. Did any of you go for it? I went for it. All right. It's test time. Be patient with me. Here we go. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That was good. Whew. You have no idea how nervous I was. Oh. God's word living inside of us. We talked about scripture. Today, we are digging into the second mark of the second true thing about people who are getting closer to Jesus. The second big thing about disciples um, growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ and God our Father. Today, we are talking about passionate prayer. Uh, so let's do that. Let's pray and then we'll dig in today. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for meeting us in this moment, for uh, encouraging us and strengthening us, for, for drawing us to you today. Um, we love you. We want to be faithful to you. So in this moment, speak, share in your word who you are and what we, want, what we should know about prayer, and help us draw closer to you in this, we pray. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it seems kind of fitting. We didn't even do it on purpose. It just seemed to line up. But today we're talking about passionate prayer on this, the first Sunday after the National Day of Prayer. It's just amazing how those things fit together. How's your prayer life? Now, I don't ask that to like put a spotlight on you. I'm not trying to accuse or to cause feelings of guilt or inadequacy, nor do I ask that question so that you can kind of feel good about yourself, you know, like you got a badge of honor, you deserve a medal because you're really good at uh, a solid prayer life. That's not, that's not the purpose for asking the question. Uh, I also don't ask it because I want us to think of it as, you know, something we do for the Lord as if uh, we're trying to make him proud. Because that's not what prayer is for either. I ask the question because prayer is a powerful way for us, again, just like scripture, to be closer to God. To have a relationship with him. To draw nearer to our Father and to our Savior. 
And not only that, not only is there a relational piece, but there is something amazing that happens when God's people pray. Somehow, through the power of prayer, we can tap into who God is and the power that he has, and we can unleash it on our world. And all of that, connection, relationship, power unleashed, this is what prayer is capable of. How's your prayer life? This is not a new question for God's people. It's something that uh, the children of God have been doing for thousands of years, praying. Um, it is a part of, it's uh, foundational to our identity, the one that God has given us. I was doing some research into what the prayer life of God's people looked like back in the first century. What was a Jewish prayer life? What was normal for them? I, I was thinking about that because uh, our passage today is an interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And I was thinking about the disciples, and I was remembering as a kid growing up, prayer and what was taught to us. And I remember, you know, we would sit at the dinner table, and as a kid, we were taught to pray before we would eat. You know, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. Uh, and then every night before you go to sleep, you lay down in bed, and mom's there. She's like, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And then a terrifying set of words, if I die before I wake, like, what does that mean? But we're taught to have this interaction with God. Taught to be honest with him and real with him. What did, what, what, what did the disciples learn? Like, before they met Jesus, what was their prayer life like? When they were little kids and their mom and dad had them around the table, what did they pray? So I, I did some research. I wanted to know. And what I found was uh, Jesus' followers grew up in a very religious society. It was different than what we understand as a society. We live in a democracy. They lived in a theocracy. The being, theo being God-ruled. So it's a God-ruled understanding of life. So everything about what you did, what you said, what you, what you knew, how you treated other people, expectations, all the rules, identity, all revolved around a relationship with God. And because it was a part of the rules, because it was the law, they were taught to pray very specifically. Prayer for them was quite organized. Uh, you prayed three times a day. You prayed when you got up. You prayed when you went to bed. And you prayed right there kind of in the middle uh, in the afternoon. And there were individual prayers that you could pray, uh, and then you could also pray in groups, but you weren't allowed to pray in groups unless you had enough people in the room with you. It's very structured, what they learned. And the, the prayers that you could pray were about all kinds of things, but there were specific things you could pray as you prayed about those specific things. Uh, you know, if you were going to wash your hands, there was a specific prayer you would pray to wash your hands. It was the hand-washing prayer. And if you were going to sit down to eat, there was a specific prayer about eating, and that's the prayer that you had. And if you were going to go on a journey, there was a specific prayer about going on a journey, and you would pray that prayer um, during the times of the day when it was time for prayer. And then there were also strongly recommended things you should wear if you were going to pray. Um, it's a very structured understanding. It kind of was born up out of the time of Ezra in the Old Testament. And God's people were just getting back from their exile in Babylon. And uh, what they had found as they were rebuilding the temple is that the people had kind of forgotten 
their heritage. They'd forgotten the, the Hebrew language. So they were kind of multilingual. Things were all kind of hodgepodge and mixed together. And if you know anything about that theocracy, what you know is that one of the aspects of God being their God and them being his people is that they were pure. And so they had to create structure for prayer. And Ezra and a bunch of like the holy guys got together and they came up with uh, something they call the Amidah, which are the 18 benedictions. Today there's 19 because it's been a couple thousand years and so you come up with another one. But they had 18 benedictions. These are the things that you prayed every single day. You would, you would get up in the morning and you would start with the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Elcheno Adonai Echad. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then you would start with the Amidah and you would go through the 18 benedictions. You would, you would pray, praise God and you would petition God and you would offer thanksgiving. And you had to do it in certain postures and there was certain words that you would say. And in fact, you had to start by taking three steps backward and then you would take three steps forward and then you would begin the Amidah. It was very structured. This was the prayer life of the disciples before Jesus. And then along comes Jesus of Nazareth, a rabbi, a teacher. And the disciples come and follow him. And, and part of being a rabbi is to walk, a part of being a disciple of a rabbi is to walk in the rabbi's shoes, to, to be exactly like the rabbi, to be just like them. And so they're hanging out with him and they're spending every day with him and they're eating with him and they're doing ministry with him and they're traveling with him and they're praying with him. And he prays differently. Something new they've never experienced before. Something that causes a question to rise up in them. How is this possible? People back then were marveling, marveling at what Jesus would say. We hear that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. Uh, it says this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the whole Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. And what the disciples hear when he prays, which he does a lot, because he wants to be with his father, what they hear causes them to make a request. And this is our scripture for today. Just a, uh, just a few verses here in Luke chapter 11. And we'll start at verse 1. So one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord... Teach us to pray. Just, just like John taught his disciples. And so Jesus said to them, well, when, when you pray, say, um, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Jesus paints a picture of prayer for them. Now, we recognize those words. They are the Lord's Prayer. These are words that Jesus gave his disciples so they would know how they could approach, how they could talk to God. Now, I don't know if you 
like this ever occurred to you. And it never really occurred to me until my wife and I were talking about this and she asked this question. I'm like, oh my goodness, how could I have missed that? Not at any point in the three years they spent together did the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to perform miracles. He didn't, they didn't ask him to teach them to walk on water. They didn't ask him to teach them how to drive out demons. They didn't ask him how to multiply bread. But they did ask him to teach them to pray. What must they have seen in his prayer life that would cause such a request? Teach us to pray. John the baptizer taught his disciples to pray. We want you to do that for us. What did they see? In Jesus that was so different than how they were raised that they wanted it they couldn't go one more day without it how did Jesus pray that was so different than what they had been taught all their lives now to answer that you have to recognize what Jesus was trying to accomplish in prayer that was different than tradition because that's what they had they had tradition they had law so what is Jesus trying to accomplish that's different than law than different than the rules different than you must and you must this way See, now they had tradition. Tradition dictated prayer. Tradition dictated it because it was mandated by the rabbis that had come before. It was in the Talmud, which is a holy book that guided the Jewish people. And the rabbis decided it should be in the Talmud. The rabbis decided it should be tradition because it's something King David did. We read about it in Psalm 55. Three times a day. It was something that Daniel did. We read about it in Daniel 6. Three times a day. You should start your day with prayer. You should end your day with prayer. There should be prayer right in the middle. And yeah, yeah, the rabbi said it was important because it corresponded with the time of sacrifice at the temple. That was true too. And so they, they made the rules. These are the rules. Therefore, you must, you must pray three times a day. And here are the words and here are the the. Um, the, the things you should wear, and here is where you should stand, and how you should stand, and whether or not you should sit, and whether or not you should lay down on your face. But Jesus, when he prayed, he talked to God. He, he talked to God like he knew him. Like he knew the sound of his voice. He wasn't just obeying rules about talking to God. He talked to God like he recognized his voice. This goes hand in hand with knowing God's word. You know, you, you, you know God's word. You know what he says. So you know who God is better because you know what he says. You know how he wants you to live because you know what he says. Can you imagine what it's like if you know the sound of God's voice? you spend so much time having conversation with him, you'd recognize him in an instant. Which means you also recognize when it's not him that's the one that's talking. How quick do we recognize the people that are talking to us? Like when you're really familiar, when you've had a lot of conversation with somebody, how quick do you know their voice? 
It's, it's, it's intimate. It's, it's personal. It happens immediately. I know immediately whether or not I'm talking with Laura or Will or Matt, my, my boys, my sons. I know the cadence of their speech. I know their tones. I know their inflections. I know the words that they like to say a lot. I can tell very quickly if something is wrong just by the way they say, hello. I know if they're happy, I know if they're sad, I know if they're angry, I know if they're afraid, because their voice lives in me. Jesus prayed as if it flowed out of a life spent with his father. He prayed as if the father's voice lived in him. Every single day in moments that that maybe not everybody would have prayed. Jesus prayed. He prayed for meals. He prayed in joy. He prayed in pain and rejection and sorrow. Prayer was a, a part of his life, sharing his life with his father, whether it's a small moment or a big moment. It was every single moment Jesus prayed. He prayed when he called his disciples. He prayed when it was revealed who he was at the transfiguration. He prayed when Lazarus walked out of the tomb. He prayed in the garden on the eve of the cross. He prayed on the cross. He prayed for his followers. He prayed when he was performing miracles. He prayed continuously. It was like breathing for him. It would be an incomplete day for me if I didn't hear my wife's voice. Shouldn't that be true about my father in heaven? Shouldn't that be true with my Savior? Jesus prayed like it was a relationship, like there was an intimate connection. And then, and then what he did for us as he hung on the cross, as he conquered death, what he did next broke down the barriers between us and God so that we, we would get to have that opportunity too. So we could have a relationship with our God that was free of those barriers, the barriers that people had always known, the barriers that set up a, a pattern of prayer that was more about the rules and doing it right than it was about an intimate one-on-one -on -one relationship. He broke down those barriers he took away the rules and expectations when he talked about what prayer should be. Listen to what Jesus said about prayer right after he taught the disciples how to pray when they asked him. This is from Luke 11, starting verse 9. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. To the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the portrait of prayer Jesus is painting. It is one of asking, receiving, one of interaction, of, uh, of life shared. It's meant to be real. It's meant to be intimate. It's meant to be without boundaries or rules. It's you and him together. 
And then he does something, something to illustrate the end of those boundaries, something that, to, to just completely obliterate the boundaries that have been in place and make Jesus' disciples understand, truly understand that they were, once upon a time, they may have been separate from God, but now that is no longer the case. Intimacy can be true. This moment happened while Jesus was hanging on the cross, and it's like the third, uh, it's like three o'clock in the afternoon, and darkness had fallen over the land, and he cries out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he cries out again, And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs broke open. The temple, the place where God lives, there was a great big curtain in front of the Holy of Holies. A do not go past this, partly for your own protection, partly because you just can't handle it. Inside is the Holy of Holies. Inside is the mercy seat of God. Inside is the throne of God, and that's where he dwells. And there's a big curtain, and only one person go in there one time a year, but not anymore. At the death of Jesus, this dividing wall, this separation rips from top to bottom. And the tombs were thrown open, and the dead rose as the death of Jesus eliminates the separation between us and God, the pain, the suffering necessary for salvation, all of those sins that kept us apart from our Father wiped clean. Guess who you get to be close to now? And then, and then after his resurrection, he rises again after his resurrection, even before he goes up to heaven, he says to a group of women standing around at the tomb, he says, uh, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. As he, as he, even as he goes off to heaven, reminding us that our access to the Father is fulfilled. We have access. He tells us that, it, that his Father and God are our Father and God. And through his Spirit, we get to have an intimate withness. That's not really a word, but I'm claiming it. We have an intimate withness. And then, and then it continues, like the story continues as the writers of, uh, of Scripture continue to this, lay this out for us. We hear it over and over again in God's Word. And I'm not going to go exhaustively into it, but, but there's some good stuff about how close we can be, how bold we can be to be with our God. Uh, Hebrews 4, verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know why we have that grace? Why we can be so bold? Because we had a high priest who came before us who made that way. This was the intent all along. Back in Psalm 145, we hear that the Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. It's always supposed to have been this way. There is nothing in between us and God anymore. Nothing that stands in between us. 
that gets in the way of our witness. At least not from God, maybe from us. Sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we're the ones that have the issues. Sometimes we're the ones that, that wrestle with the connection. But we don't have to. There's so much available to you in a living, breathing, conversational, relational, just being with your father. If, if you'll take it. This is the, this is the, the, the portrait of prayer. Prayer. That Jesus paints. This is what he offers. This is what he gives us, this relational piece. But again, not just relationship, also an unleashing of power. Let's not forget this either. I mean, it's so easy to think that prayer and, and my life of prayer is just, you know, kind of me and Jesus. It's just him and me, and that's cool, and as long as it's good, I'm good. But there's more going on. Prayer is powerful. It is the tapping into the power of God and unleashing it on the world. I have a story to share. It doesn't come from me. Actually, Pastor Trent, who was anticipating being here today, but then couldn't be here today. Uh, he was hanging out in Ireland at the very beginning of this trip here uh, <clears throat> in, uh, before they went off to Hungary. And they were at a church planting conference and they got to be with people from Hungary and from all over, from Romania, from the Netherlands, and hear amazing stories of church planting. And one of the stories that he shared with me, and I said, can I steal that? And he said, yes, of course. And I said, good, because I was going to anyway. <laughs> it's about the story of a church planter from the Netherlands, a young man named Christian. And Christian was asked to take over a church of eight people. And so Christian takes over and, and does ministry and is going at it and years go by and it's still just eight people. And it gets frustrating and there's a low point. And so uh, Christian and his leaders gather together and they just get on, their, they get on their knees and they pray, God, just give us one convert, please. One, one convert. At and within like weeks, Christian gets an email from a young woman. Um, she's an atheist, but was wondering like if church might have anything for her. Now, in case you're thinking that Christian was like hopped on that and made some big thing and won her to Jesus, no, Christian didn't do that. Christian forgot about the email, never responded. Go to the next Sunday, woman just shows up. She's like, hi. She's like, well, you never responded to my email, so I figured it was probably okay for me to show up. They spend weeks. Here's the gospel. Nothing changes, and then they have communion. A couple weeks later, they have communion, and Christian prepares communion, and there are 10 cups because they had two people, two non-believers worshiping with them at that point. And so prepared 10 cups, but fully expected after the elements got passed around that two of them would come back filled yet. And then when the tray came back, only one came back filled. And so Christian sought out the people who were visiting and said, uh, did, I'm just wondering if one of you took the opportunity to take communion. And the young woman who was an atheist said, actually, yes, um, during communion, I gave my life to Christ. 
Not because of anything he said, not because of anything he did, not because of a a beautiful flowery response to a wonderful email, not because of great big open doors, not because of anything except getting on the knees and praying. Now here's the thing that'll bend your mind. Would there have been more if they would have asked for more than one? Did they only get one because they only asked for one? Ooh. I don't know. But they prayed. And the power of God was unleashed. And God moved. And the only thing they did was pray. It's a good story. So we talked about it last week. I want to say it again this week. There are practical things that we can do. What are some practical things that we can do to encourage and build prayer in our lives? And I just want to give you a few of them, okay? Just a couple of very simple things so that we can grow in this marker of organic disciples, discipleship. That we can become stronger, healthy in our lives. We can take one more step closer to Jesus in our prayer life. Uh, Number one, just talk to God. Talk to him. It doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be structured. It doesn't have to be at specific times. Just talk to God. I've got something that I call truck time. I'm, I'm heading somewhere. I'm doing something. And I'll just, I'll just start talking. Yeah, I was thinking about this, and I don't know what's going to happen. I'm really frustrated about this other thing. Oh, did you hear about that person that did it? I just talked to the Lord. It's, it's just him and me, and we're praying, we're hanging out. It's honest, it's real. Uh, sometimes I ask for advice or feedback, and sometimes he gives me advice and feedback, and sometimes he doesn't. And I don't know what that means, but sometimes he does. So just talk with him. Two, um, pray like Jesus did. Look at how Jesus prayed. Pay attention to how Jesus prayed and pray like that. Pray for others. Pray for healing. Pray for freedom. Pray for enemies. Pray for humility. Do these things that Jesus did because they matter. Walk in the footsteps of the rabbi. And if you need help with that, if you need like, to, to build something in, use a prayer journal. Write them down. This is an impromptu prayer journal. You know what this actually is? This is my worship assist book. This is where I take notes on a Sunday morning about all the prayer requests and announcements that I have to give. It goes all the way back to 2017. And guess what? If we prayed for you during any of those services that I was worship assisting from 2017 till today, your name is in my book. I can go back through this and I can see how God answered prayers. I can see those names of folks that have gone on to glory. It is a testimony to God's faithfulness. Number three, and this is probably the tough one. This is like the memory verse one, like having a memorizing scripture. This is the tougher one. Pray with people. Pray with others. Like, it, like make it a normal thing. Make it, make it so that you do it so often it feels normal. Pray with others. When, you, when you've got somebody you run into and, and, and they've got something going on, you go, hey, can I pray for you? And they go, yeah, nine times out of ten, people are going to be like, yeah, yeah, you can pray for me. Open yourself to the Spirit. Let the Spirit say it. Can I pray for you now? 
Pray with others. Find a group of fellow believers. Get together for prayer. Learn to hear the Father's voice. Learn it well. You will be blessed. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for your faithfulness, for being close to us, for calling us into a relationship with you that that can be far more than anything we could ever ask or imagine. Show us who you are. Help us to learn the sound of your voice. Build in us a heart for prayer like Jesus prayed. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen.